Hello, and welcome back to the Self Healer Soundboard. Today's episode is once again a direct request from you, the viewer and listener. This one on fear. I've gotten a lot of requests in all different sort of asks. Fear of failure, fear of doing something new, fear of a recurring health diagnosis coming back. So really, we're just going to look at fear in a macro and what the core of fear is and really how we move through it and how we move with it. So great place to begin. Uh, what is fear? Fear is actually an evolutionary marker um, for when we are perceiving a threat, whether it's to our physical body or you know, hearing the context of some of these questions in terms of fear of failure or our mental body or our mental self. And actually, there's been a ton of research now that as humans, we are born with certain innate fears. They've done many studies where they have a infant child who's able to crawl and they have the child crawling um, over what looks like a ledge, but of course, it's just a, a pane of glass. So the child is safe in all these studies. And all of the children um, at the earliest developmental age, when of course it can begin to crawl, reacts to that perceived depth or the fear of heights. Um, for a very long time too, as a species, um, many of us have been afraid of large reptile type, lizard snake type entities that again, in our history, in our evolutionary history, could cause the human species harm, could bite us, could cause us actual death, similar to height. So beginning here, I think is important to understand that fear in and of itself is part of our biology, for lack of a better way to describe it. Of course, some of us, I mean, I still have a fear of heights myself, but I know many of us have grown out of those fears where we've had life experiences or were modeled life experiences overcoming those fears. But again, it really is something that is wired into us. Um, some of us, you know, developmentally so from the moment we are born. So we're born with fear. It's important to acknowledge that it's a very real part of our existence because, again, it indicates to us the possibility of threat or physical harm. I really appreciate starting with the fact that, yes, fear is something that we experience. And I think it's really important not to just get complacent about that and say, oh, well, I'm born with fear. So this crippling fear that stops me from following my heart or making all these life choices or, you know, keeps me out a fear of change, a fear of risk. So I stay in this safe familiar. We as these spiritual, soulful beings, we have an invisible life force that runs through us. We have a soul whose mission it is to expand and to grow. And when we stay in the familiar, simply because it's familiar, we are resisting that expansion and resisting that growth, which is essentially resisting our evolution. And why do we stay in the familiar? Because we fear that change. We fear a failure. So while that image of the baby is so, it's powerful for me because I'm very visual. So I can see, you know, that baby reacting to that fear or that height. Or if anyone's been around a small child, you can see their resistance or their fear of things. You can also witness their perseverance. It is a child, an infant's nature to begin to sit up on their own. It is then their nature to begin to crawl to go from crawling to then stand. And all along the way, they fall down, they may get hurt, 
yet they persevere and they go back again. So while fear is a natural occurring thing for all of us, we as humans have also really attached this fear of failure to ourselves that does come really from our conditioning because that child who does react to a fear yet still perseveres and still gets up and stumbles and learns how to walk, that's a preconditioned child. That's that child's own true nature that is calling them forward to crawl and to walk. Yes, we might, you know, encourage them or create an environment around them, though that's what a human does in its own natural development. And then as we continue to grow and we do exist in conditioning and in our cultures and societies, there is a large fear of failure that is attached to ourselves. I think just sticking with the the point of conditioning, um, because the reality of it is, you know, based on the circumstances that we were born into, if we, you know, were in environments that were unsafe, if we didn't have our financial needs met, if there was abuse or neglect happening in the home, if we didn't have an attuned caregiver to attach with us and create a safe experience as, as life around us, you know, created fear inside of us, then probably a large number of you listening have not grown out of those fears. A lot of us carry the fears that we might have experienced in childhood because things felt unsafe, um, if not all of the time, consistently enough. And something I share about often, because as long as I can remember, I mean, <clears throat> fear was my childhood. I like to describe myself as the little girl afraid of the world because that's quite literally what it felt like. And while on the one hand, you know, I've been able to from my adult self now look back um, in terms of the city that I was born in, Philadelphia, here in the United States, which is known <clears throat> for not being the safest of cities. And I lived that reality. I had cars stolen. My neighbor was broken into. You know, crime happened readily outside of the four walls in which my family was living. And that was very present inside of the four walls in which I was living because I was present with caregivers who were fearful, who themselves didn't feel safe in their own you know, home setting. So the messaging, both direct and indirect, was translating those very real fears to me. And this is just something that you know I'm becoming aware with recently because I became so used to that environment, um, those, you know, stressful things outside of my four walls that it just felt normal to me. But the reality of it is when we're born in a stressful environment, when we don't have our resources or our needs met, and when we don't have messages of safety of how to be resilient or to deal with that environment, immediately we're going to likely become the child who doesn't feel equipped, who begins to fear the world outside, just like I did. That's that conditioning piece. Just like if a child who continues to walk, you know, over months and years consistently is standing up to walk, falling down and getting hurt or getting punished for it, then eventually, yes, they're going to be conditioned into my attempt to do this produces this result. They're going to either stop doing it or be very fearful of it. That is a valid conditioning that's created. And if you've listened to these podcasts or our work before, I've often shared about my relationship with seeing knives on the counter or certain little, little things that will bring up a fear from the past. And as Nicole's saying, that environment from being younger creates a certain fear that is valid. And when that conditioning sort of locks in over time, 
we carry that with us. It's not like we then leave the environment and those fears and that conditioning are all left in the past behind. No, that conditioning and that past and those fears that were created are living here in me, in my vessel, in my thoughts, in my habits, how I express outward. So seeing, for example, this knife story, seeing knives on the counter immediately in my mind brings back these fears or this memory of, you know, someone holding a knife up to me or an intruder coming in or someone breaking in. I was never as a child, I shouldn't say never, though very close to never, in a safe environment, in a stable environment. It was very unsafe. It was very abusive. It was full of poverty and addiction and neglect and verbal abuse. So you can imagine the picture that is created there. Well, those created very real fears from things that I experienced, things that I saw, things that I witnessed. Those fears of whether it's certain people, certain situations, certain vibes or energies, certain objects like seeing knives around or maybe a loud noise or someone knocking at the door when I'm unaware of it, those things will actually jolt me right back to that past and bring up, when, while I say it's jolting me back to the past, what's actually happening is the recalling of that memory and that trauma in my mind and my body that is now here in the present. So that's all part of that conditioning and really give yourself a bit of grace and compassion for that because while you may be in an entirely different environment now, those fears are still very valid and very real for you. And they came from a very real place. Even just hearing Jenna, you mentioned the word trauma. I think it's worth a pause right now to acknowledge um, I think because a lot of what I'm even hearing us begin this conversation with is possible, you know, threat to our physical body. And for a long time in the field, that's how PTSD and is continues to be defined is when you live an event where you could face or you are facing the possibility of imminent or death in and of itself, then you develop that PTSD type symptoms. It lives in your mind and body. It might come up as flashbacks like you're beautifully describing. Thankfully, the field has now expanded to include other types of traumatic events with traumatic being defined as consistent, overwhelming stress with a lack of resources or lack of supports. And now in the field, um, we diagnose, or at least those who go by the ICD-9, the, the European Diagnostic S System, but I think many people here in the States have heard of the concept of CPTSD or exactly that, this idea that we can be traumatized or carry the traumatic stress in our mind and bodies, even outside of having those moments where we could possibly face physical harm. And again, I, I've lived myself a prime example of that, because if I wasn't scared of someone breaking in, the loud noise or the bump that I heard in the night that might be that someone breaking in, one of my predominant fears was the death or the loss of my parents, my mom in particular. Because again, within my home, there was a, a lot of chronic illness, a lot of chronic pain, a lot of health-related concerns and anxiety with my older sister, who was 15 years older than me as well. So there was a lot of talk for me at a very young age without the support and understanding of death, of loss. And for a child, that because 
we're in a complete state of dependency. I needed those humans to show up and at least care for me to some extent the next day so that I could go on living, though in a much more psychological sense, that still produced that same overwhelming stress in my mind and body. And again, without that support, without that human to help me make sense of it, to help my body regulate itself, I carried the same imprint um, and what it be looked like in my adult experience is that same thing, worry, stress, always concerned that someone I love, my family or my partners or my friends, something bad might happen to them when I don't hear from them from a long period of time. Just like you're describing that kind of startle, my body would tense. I would start to race with particular concerns about the bad, devastating thing that happened to them. So much so that for a very long time, I was tethered to my cell phone, always looking for the text response back or the phone call back to verify that this person that I love so dearly was okay. That's come up on some episodes previously. And I know a lot of listeners and viewers resonated with that feeling of getting that phone call. You know, if my mother were to call or my brother were to call at some obscure time, there's an immediate pit in my stomach. Who's died? What's happened? Who's on fire? And so many of you resonated with that same feeling. It's like a, a guttural physical response that comes from some place, comes from a very real reality. So with those background pictures kind of painted, it makes a lot of sense then why we end up being these adults who are, you know, feel like we're stuck in cement and are petrified to make that big life change or take that job that's going to take me out of my hometown or find anything that is new or make a choice for something new. We then fear change because in that sort of grip of, you know, what I'm hearing you say too with that fear of something happening to your family members or that fear of death even, that fear of something changing. What do we do, whether we're aware of it or not? We get really comfortable subconsciously controlling. Even if we don't want to admit that we are controlling, you might not be trying to control or being controlling of a situation. No, you're quite literally programmed to then do that. If you're in an environment that is unstable or that does have a lot of you know, different possibilities of how things could end up. There isn't consistency there. There isn't stability there. Like we're explaining in both of our home environments that were very different. We come from very different backgrounds and very different places. However, you can see that sort of same similarity in that lack of attunement or lack of safety or lack of stability in many ways. So then what happens as adults all of those fears, all that conditioning is still here. So we want to know what's going to happen next. We want to stay in the familiar. When I say we, I'm talking about our minds, our egos, our view has been locked in. If I know what happens next, I'm safe. So I'm going to control what happens next or at least attempt to. That's not the nature of life. That's not the nature of our souls. It's not the nature of our beings. We are fluid, expansive, always evolving and ever-changing creatures. So when we do deny ourselves this change or 
something that comes with a lot of risks. That's where also all of our growth is. All of my greatest growth, all of my greatest expansion has also come in moments where there was the greatest risk there. There was the greatest fear of possible failure. And if that resonates with you, I would try on this reframe that you cannot possibly fail. You can only produce results. Every action or inaction you take is going to produce a result. As humans, we have created this idea that we can fail at something. All we can do is either do something or not do something and then create a specific result based on that. I I love that. And just kind of going back to this idea of the safety in the familiar you know, when we didn't have safety in our childhood, specifically around our emotions, fear, anything, anything stressful, any emotion that's dysregulating of our mind and our body, we have now installed within our, our mind and our body, our subconscious mind, this deep-rooted belief that we, we can't cope with it like, because that's all we've lived the experience of. We've become completely overwhelmed. We've become completely dysregulated. If you're like me, we've had a checkout on our spaceship, distract ourselves from the fear because we didn't have, again, that attuned caregiver to help bring our mind and bodies back into that safety. So then we continue to live life. We grow, we age, we might even have all of these resources around us. And we might even hear this beautiful quote that you're hearing Jenna say. And the reality of it is we don't trust ourselves to navigate the results, the outcomes that we will produce. So we don't go into those unknowns. We create and we curate and we control the environment around us because we're so desperately afraid of meeting that reality that we will meet that next straw that breaks the camel's back. We will fall into that same dysregulation. We will become overwhelmed with stress, with sadness, with grief, with, with anger, whatever it is that life might bring. So we control, again, because somewhere deep down, we've continued to live the experience of not being able to deal with it. So we continue to fear not being able to deal with the stress, the reality, the emotional experience of living our life. And then we go into these fabulous shame cycles where we rip ourselves apart. We ridicule ourselves. We get so controlling, so deeply afraid. Really imagine just your inner child. I imagine little Jenna just tucked up inside, deeply afraid. That's when I'm expressing outward to the world as you know, someone massively controlling or maybe even mean or rigid or rude, however it's being expressed. What's really happening if I want to connect all those dots and wires down to what's inside of me? It's a little girl who is shriveled up in a little ball who is petrified of an unstable environment wanting to control everything around her so that she can ensure she's safe. Not having realized in that moment that she's no longer in that environment, which is why I then get the opportunity in real time to, yes, practice those affirmations. I am safe to affirm new beliefs because like Nicole's saying, those deep-rooted beliefs, you can picture an iceberg. You have that little tip of the iceberg on top. That's what you can see. The bulk of that iceberg submerged underwater, that's your subconscious That's where your self-beliefs are. That's where all of this conditioning is that you may not even be aware of. So when we're seeing that fear and that need to control, we're fearing what? In error. We're fearing something new. And 
like that quote, you know, you can't possibly fail. You can only produce a result. I would also suggest or offer reframing an error itself, an error or a mistake equals growth. Errors equal growth. If you are willing to look at them and to learn from them and to be willing to actually say, okay, I did X, it produced X result. Maybe it's an error or a mistake in that I don't want to repeat that. It's not aligned with what I wanted or what I want, or maybe I hurt some people, whatever it is. Regardless, whatever happened, happened. You can't unhappen it. So error, mistake, or triumph, it all equates to growth. I love that that visual you're painting. And um, interestingly, um, I what is coming to mind is is me, my actual physical body, being that little girl afraid of the world. It didn't take long before literally my shoulders became hunched. I'm still working on my posture. It's a daily commitment to putting my shoulders back because my whole body began to reflect fear. That little girl that you just painted in your mind, I looked like that outwardly from my hunched shoulders in protection, shrinking me down to the tension. I would have strangers walk by me probably until I was in my mid twenties asking me, why why aren't you smiling? Right. The thing I think that many of us love to hate when that's said to us, but what that reflected or what was reflected outward was all of the tension, almost the scowl in my face of fear. Again, that closed off. I was never open at ease when talking to someone. My arms were usually very, you know, kind of close to my side, if not crossed in front of me. And again, describing that because I embodied fear. Quite literally, my physical body became a reflection of that fear inside of me. And at the same time, one of the deepest rooted beliefs or worries, fears that I had, um, again, based on my family, based on how I was actually validated within my family, which is by being perfect, by not being the child that stressed the family out, not having health issues, not causing a lot of trouble like my older brother caused. I know I don't talk much about him, but you know he, in many occasions, caused stress to my family, had things going on in his personal life as he was developing that stressed my family unit. I very early on saw that I excelled academically, athletically. So I sought to be perfect, to be perfectly in terms of my achievement or to achieve perfectly, and also to be the perfect child, never to be the one with issues. So one of my deepest fears that actually connects this whole conversation because prevented me from failing, from having any relationship with failure. I probably have said this before on this podcast. uh, And if not, I'll offer it now. I, for a long time, wouldn't do things that I wasn't immediately good at. If I didn't think I was going to win the game, I didn't want to play the game. I avoided failure at all cost. Again, because in my family, that was the safest route for me to not add any more stress to an already overwhelmed system, to get the validation, the attention from my mom in particular that she was available to give when I was succeeding, created then a cyclone of, well, I'm not going to do anything hard. I'm never going to challenge myself physically, mentally, emotionally, or in any way. I'm going to avoid failure. I'm going to avoid having that beautiful relationship, which I'm I'm trying to now cultivate, where I'm reframing what it means to fail and allowing the possibility that it isn't failure at all. It's learning. It's growth. It's an opportunity to do things differently. But for me, it really became this perfect storm, which led me to get very savvy at avoiding all of the possible opportunities for the growth, for the resilience that we began to talk about that we have as children and to literally live such a curated life 
that I continued to validate how incapable I was until I became conscious of this whole process of dealing with fear or anything that was uncomfortable. That's another way to paint this picture of that perfectionism is a means to control. So even I'm very unlike Nicole in the, I excelled at academia. I excelled at, you know, X, Y, and Z sports. I was really, really good at gymnastics. I had a natural talent for gymnastics, which ironically you strive to score. Scoring has now changed, but you were striving to <laughs> score a perfect 10. If your toe wasn't pointed, you got docs points. So unlike Nicole, I did, I wasn't that golden child. We've referred to it in a way, but you can see that perfectionism is that need to then control. So then what did Nicole do? Stop doing anything that she knew or thought she could be perfect at. So she did nothing new out of that fear. So whether you relate to that sort of golden child, that perfection or not, you can see then now as an adult Nicole gave up on new. So Nicole as an adult already there is going to be this fear of change, you know, making that leap to follow your passion, to move to that place that you feel called to move to, but you can't put your finger on why or articulate in a rational way to anyone around you why you want to do the thing you want to do. We make up a lot of excuses and we betray and deny our own soul's calling so that we fit in with the norm around us. And what you just shared, Nicole, is such a great depiction of that. If I know that I can excel doing X and I can get that external approval and validation and praise, then I'm going to shut down all of my heart. I'm going to detach on my spaceship. I'm going to disconnect from my body. I'm going to subconsciously disconnect from my intuition and my soul and my heart's longing because I am an instinctual creature driven for survival, which means I want the approval and connection of the people around me. So you can see in so many ways how where we come from and that environment, whether we're willing to look at the submerged iceberg or not, has created such a hold and such a conditioning to create who we show up as today, which I hope is helpful or maybe even a breath of fresh air to those of you who do feel that crippling fear and whether it's fear of failure, feel of fear of change, fear of change being, you know, in grief, fear of someone passing because really what's happening there is a change. Someone's physical body is dying, but to say that life has ended would mean that life means human birth to death. Well, how are we all existing? How are the stars here? How do the trees grow? How does life itself exist in this infinity outside of a human life? So it is in so many ways just a reframe of what we have been conditioned to see as a beginning and an end, a failure or not a failure, what we believe is a fear when really we're just conditioned to stay in the familiar so that we can keep ourselves safe. Hearing you say, you know, when we're thinking about loss too, and going back to this idea of, you know, I, I, I can't, I'll be overwhelmed. Um, it is really that deep rooted I belief that if things were to change outside of me, this person's physical presence weren't to be there, I were to show up in my authentic self we have this deep-rooted fear that I won't be okay with what is now a new happening, this person not there, maybe someone else, you know, perceiving us in a way that we're or have always been fearful of. So 
for, for many of you to maybe even take a deeper breath, um, I want to acknowledge the process of this because in a lot of ways, you know, I celebrate myself, my ability to continue to make those make choices that have allowed me to live in more alignment. I mean, even creating the Instagram account, the holistic psychologist was a huge step in that going from all of this conditioning, all of this fear of what will you think if I begin to share my reality, how it is for me, what's working on my own journey, that movement of saying, well, I'm going to talk about it anyway, regardless of what you think of it outside world, I'm going to make that step. And then I pivot it the way that I work. But again, I'm bringing this up because it doesn't mean my fear isn't there. It doesn't mean that there's not. And I I actually, I called myself out on it this morning because I was doing something, as I told Jenna, I quote unquote, shouldn't have been doing um, because I still have that fear, even though I am committed to continuing to present myself, my authentic truth, how it is for me in alignment with my, whatever that heart's truth may be as that continues to evolve. I still have a fear about what people are thinking. I still know exactly where to look to actually get reflected back in objective statements, usually online by strangers that I don't even know about what they're thinking. So I have that fear, even though I do present myself as I am to the world. It doesn't mean that that light switch has flipped and I don't care anymore. I still very much, there is still a part of me that cares. There is still a part of me when I'm feeling stressed out, when I'm feeling dysregulated, that will go and actually seek that affirmation that I'm as not perfect, as horrible, as insert whatever it is that you may or may not want to call me as I am concerned you think I am. So again, all of this is full circle just to acknowledge that it is a journey. It doesn't go away. Becoming aware of my conditioning doesn't mean that I don't care. I don't care about what people think of me. I absolutely still care, but I've created now a safe space for me to learn how to have a relationship with external feedback, always dropping into relying on those I love around me that actually do know me um, to give me the space to actually affirm myself. So I just wanted to acknowledge that here because, again, I think sometimes people look at maybe the lives that we're reflecting outward and then have this idea after hearing this whole conversation that I'm still not fearful. I'm still not concerned. I still don't want to, on some level, be perfect, have everyone like me because that's not the case at all. I still have that subconscious conditioning. And at moments, maybe more frequently than I ought to sometimes when I'm stressed, when I'm under-resourced, when I'm not taking care of my body, I still do entertain those thoughts in a very real way. We're human and we are fearful of things. We have habits. What Nicole's describing really is, you know, like she said, she knows where to go look to get the validation that we're canceled or we have haters, whatever it is that I just wanted no part in. I don't want the energy around. And all that Nicole's doing when she goes to do that is just, it's a residual habit. It is a reptilian habit that is, you know, she does it less and less now. Yeah. And that will continue with the conscious intention to let that go or to, you know, not seek the habits that we don't want anymore. But also it's so beautiful to just give ourselves grace for the fact that like, well, I am a reptile. I, <laughs> I do have these habits ingrained in me and it is a daily process. It's a moment to moment process. And when you were talking about embodying fear earlier and like your shoulders hunched over, I can even see now I can see us up on the screen, but also in the replays back of our episodes, I'm always joking with Furkan who has to watch these on repeat and edit <laughs> them and listen to our voices all day. I'm like, very rarely do you see me smiling in an episode and I'm trying to intentionally 
be noticeable of my face and relax my body and my being because I call it trauma face. If I look back into almost any episode, and I'm sure this one, if I'm just cruising through and take a screenshot, my face is always captured in a state of pain or fear or panic or trauma or horror of some way. And I give myself a lot of a lot of love and a lot of compassion for that because I think back to little Jenna. And if I look at childhood photos, there's a huge smile painted across my face up until a certain age where it literally just shifts. And there is a look of just fear and pain. And I can only imagine what it was that I was witnessing when I see that. And if I'm not fully present or consciously thinking about it all the time, and I'm not going to spend every moment here thinking about how my face appears, I'm just going to be here present in our conversation and keep that in mind. And like over time, continue to work in more of a calm visual presence for myself that is more aligned, though I'm very aware that that's there. You can see fear written all over someone's body posture and someone's face. So it's just something to, I guess, keep in mind and to continuously note, we are all humans. We are all, yes, born with that fear and experiencing it. And we can see, hopefully this episode has helped, how that fear is compounded and seemingly locked in over time. And how you can visually witness that in yourself and another. And if nothing else, give yourself some love or some grace and compassion for yourself first and foremost, which will only then allow you to actually hold space and compassion for the fact that the other 8 billion people on this planet are just as fearful and afraid as you. They're all going to produce different results dependent on them, though we all have this same core breath in our lungs, the same heartbeat, the blood that runs through our veins. We have the same human experiences too. We have the same fears. We share the same feelings and emotions. They just all show up differently. I couldn't help but but giggling when you were talking about viewing yourself on past videos because a, a running joke uh, that for Lolly and I and in the very beginning and still in moments now, um, the video camera was one of the scariest things. Again, why? Because I'm being seen. I'm being seen for sharing an aspect of myself. Right? I'm challenging that little girl who would prefer to hide under the table, which is what I literally did or behind my mom's leg if I had to be out in public, let alone talk to someone. I wouldn't do that. My mom would order for me. So putting myself out in public, um, Lolly would always comment and I'd have to redo the video. And sometimes I wanted to knock her out because she would say, you look spooked, like your face, like you look frightened, Nicole. And she wasn't wrong, though I did want to react negatively to hearing that. I really love um, the grace and compassion suggestion to all of you listening. And the reason why we're even talking about this is if you learn to observe your body and you do see you know what? Maybe while you're listening, if you check in now, you do notice you're hunched. Maybe you are someone who, like me, is still being told to smile or, you know, you are seeing all of these different ways you're wearing fear. Noticing it will give you the opportunity to begin to shift your shoulders back a little bit, relax the muscles in your face. And the reason why we're doing that is not so that the world thinks differently when they see us. So that will be a byproduct of it. We will energetically shift the signal that we're sending to the world around us. 
It's to more importantly, shift the signal that our body is sending to our mind, because this is where, you know, no amount of affirmations, white knuckling it, wishing, listening to a podcast like this with all of this now information will change the messages that your body is sending your mind. If your body is saying, no, there's a reason to be scared. I'm tensed up for a reason, Nicole. There is a threat here. No amount of wishing things to be different from your mind is going to shift that. So if we become compassionately a non-objective or non-judgmental observer of what is, then we can make those small choices where we're literally shifting the way where our body, our muscle tension, our musculature is being structured so that then gradually over time, we could begin to shift the messages that our body is sending to our mind. And that brings us not only to the end of this episode, but leading into, um, we're going to be diving back into the workbook, knowing that many of you have requested us to do a deep dive into the How to Meet Yourself workbook that we just released um, in December. So you don't have to have the workbook to follow along, but for next topic, next episode, we're going to be talking about the nervous system and just this, how the nervous system shifts the way our physiology and our body um, is sending the messages to our mind. And of course, beginning to then speak about becoming intentional and shifting those messages. So if you're interested in a continued conversation now about the physiology of fear and how it relates to our nervous system and nervous system wellness, tune into next week's episode. And we look forward to all of you joining us for the conversation.